Welcome back to Good Morning Germanica with your host, Nick Gogol, a WBWWJC MFD production. Up next on Good Morning Germanica, we'll be speaking with author and editor of the upcoming volume, The Cambridge Companion to Kantianish Philosophy, Catherine Mush, about how to find the perfect Verbindung for your homemade strudels. Stay tuned for our interview with her right after these words from our sponsors. Coming soon to BBC America. Martha? Martha, my dear, it's time to wake up. Martha? My God! driving you to the edge? Why not try tunnels? My name is Ron, and I've dug tunnels all over town, and you can use them if you ask. Find me at Midtown Hardware, where they sell shovels, and I'll see you underground. Toilets! Toilets for him! Hey Lou? Producer Lou? The sound went out in my headphones. Can you patch me back into the ads? The ads are the best part. Oh, oh, uh, and uh, we are back. Welcome back to Good Morning Germanica. We are on the air. We're going to be coming to you with uh, in just a few moments with a live interview from Catherine... Lou, the the incoming call light is on. That's I. Oh, we're okay. We're taking a call. Wait, we're we're making a call. Hello, hello. You have reached the voice mailbox of Nick Gogol. When you have finished recording, please hang up or press one for more options. Dear Nick, I'm sorry to have missed you. This is your boss, Rich. It is never easy to deliver bad news, but 
I like to soften the blow somewhat by doing it remotely from the home I share with my loving family, which, as you may know, is built directly into cliff sides in the famed tradition of the Pueblo people, in a wonderful exclusive community of the wealthy where I live with, did I mention them already, my adoring family, which includes my children, who delight in their cliff's carved home surrounded by mini and maxi mansions, which themselves are surrounded by picket fences, though the larger perimeter which encloses all of the above is that of a wall or at least a fence wired with alarms and for moderate electrocutions. You may be wondering what I am calling you with news about. In this voicemail I will share with you the fact that your show has zero remaining listeners. I have it on some authority that the final listener to your show was peacefully asleep in a motel room soothed to his deep slumber as so many before him by the downy comforter of a season 6 Law & Order rerun, a slumber only disturbed by a commercial for a car dealership so regional and homemade that when a toddler belonging to the owner of the car lot co-starring in the spot accidentally turned on the radio in the interior of a plush luxury no-money-down sedan, coincidentally pre-tuned to Good Morning Germanica, the motel sleeper awoke and shut off the television, effectively turning off your career in radio as it were. So if you have cause to resent anyone in this matter, I suggest you take it up with him. The man in room 317 at the carryout motel in Hoboken, and if you hurry, you might catch him in time. And voicemail. Yours truly rich. It has been seven months since that day. Seven months since the clip you just heard was broadcast live over the radio to listeners in and around the Chicago area. If there had been any listeners, that is. If anyone had tuned in. If you had tuned in, that's not all you would have heard. Welcome back to Good Morning Germanica. We're coming to you today with a request we're going to be playing for Lou in Chicago, Illinois. This one's going out to you, we're going out to you, we're going out to you. This one's going out to you, going out to you, we're going out to you, we're going out to you. This one's going out to you. Where there used to be a wall here. Thirteen minutes. Thirteen unlucky minutes is all it took for me to destroy the life that I had built up to this point.
in that 13 minutes, I remained on air. You heard some of the segments that I presented during that time in the previous clips. And as you may have heard in those clips during that 13 minutes, uh, the authorities, the police, the fire department, um, producer Lou, other overnight staff, um, my parents, and a college roommate who's been staying with my parents, all pled with me to stop, to, to, to see reason, to, to get off the air. They attempted to batter down the door, but I blocked their way. They attempted to, uh, pry off the hinges, but I screwed them back in twice as fast. Uh, eventually, they were able to come in through through a window, through the window in the production booth. They broke that window, and it was expensive. I was not tried in criminal court due to a seldom used mercy rule that most people are probably familiar with from Little League baseball games that get out of hand, but I was found liable for certain civil damages, um, and I have done my best to come to terms with that. For about a week after those 13 minutes, I... I didn't speak. I remained silent. I went inside myself and lived in my own mind. I was like a hermit among people, yet alone. I would sleep on my parents' couch. I would get up in the morning. I would get myself a glass of water. I would not put ice in it. I got to the point where I felt that I was not fit for ice. And so my life went on. Sleeping, waking, drinking, meeting with lawyers. I went to court and sat in front of a judge. And that was when I decided to speak again. I felt that it was time and that it was okay for me to not be found in contempt of court. And so I spoke. And I said the words, not guilty. And the judge looked at me and he was confused. And he said, you do not plead guilty or not guilty here. This is a civil court. And I 
At that remained silent, and I allowed my attorney to speak on my behalf, as is my right. Though I cannot say that I feel that justice has been fully done, I have accepted the outcome in court. I cannot discuss details. I can't quote numbers. I've signed many agreements to that effect. But what I can say is that... Okay. Okay. More on that right after this. Hi, it's me, Nick Gogol. I'm here to talk to you about our newest advertiser on the program, uh, Middle Child Lullaby Songbook. They are uh, an excellent sing-along book that you can buy for uh, your child, for a niece or nephew. Makes a great gift, great uh, for every occasion. There's songs for all different kinds of holidays. There's uh, classic children's songs. You know, I remember when I was growing up, my parents would sing me uh, a lot of these, and I really feel like there's no better way to um, present this than to, you know, give you a little taste of what it is Middle Child Lullaby Songbook is uh, offering. So with that in mind, you know, they sent me a free copy and I was going to give it to my um, brother and uh, his little girl, his niece, uh, Rose, but I am just gonna, you know, really quickly use it for... I don't know for this, but I don't think they'll mind. Just gonna try and find. Uh, here's a good one. Um, well, you're you're all gonna remember this one. The wheels on the bus take you away, you away, you away. The wheels on the bus take you away to grandma's. See, you don't have to be like a, a great singer. You don't have to have like the best voice. These are classic melodies, classic children's song presented in an original way. Uh, you just need to pick up a copy of Middle Child Lullaby Songbook and when you do, you can uh, use our uh, coupon that we specifically get. Uh, it's radio, 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 book, book. And you can just type that in when you place an order online. And that's going to uh, give you free shipping. Let's just take a look at another one of these. Um, oh, yeah. You all know this one. Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O, and on that farm he had a dog, E-I-E-I-O. It was not your dog Spot, E-I-E-I-O, your dog died. See, that's uh, a lot of these songs that we remember from our childhood, we don't just remember because they were, you know, great songs, because uh, they, they, they were fun and they sounded cool and they're about cool stuff, but because they had lessons and they taught us things, um, like there was one I wanted to find, um, uh, yeah, like this one. The itsy bitsy spider crawled across your bed over the pillow and right onto your head. 
You yawn and it crawls down into your mouth. On average, we swallow eight spiders a year. And, I mean, there are hundreds of songs like this. I really, I, I mean, for the price, uh, which it starts just at fourteen ninety nine for, like, the, the ages 0 through 6 uh, version, and then uh, it, it gets more expensive the older you go. But, again, you can use our coupon code, um, radio, 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 book, book, to go to Middle Child Lullaby's uh store page and that will give you free shipping uh why don't we take it out on just one more little verse here um what is a good one row 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 your boat gently down the stream quietly softly carefully children are not to be heard or seen okay uh, well, that should probably do it. Uh, yeah, check that out. You're gonna love it. Thank you. The first time I saw a 1989 Mission Pangea recreational vehicle was on the news when several radical advocates for something holed up inside one with a guarantee from their leader that they were armed with weapons and equipped with a list of demands scrawled out in red sharpie on a roll of toilet paper, dutifully written and re-rolled up like a scroll for delivery to the authorities surrounding them. For almost a year, everyone would tell you they remembered exactly where they'd been and what they'd been doing, when they'd been doing it, and who they'd been doing what with where at the time when they heard about this dramatic event. I also remembered at the time where I had been and what I'd been doing and so on, but what still lingers in my memory after all these years is the glint of the sunlight on the window of the 1989 Mission Pangea. I remember seeing behind the lowered blinds one of the radicals signaling a pizza delivery man who had just arrived with their dinner. I was transfixed. Authorities were at a loss as to how the pizza delivery man slipped through their security cordon. As he approached the radicals, he seemed indifferent to shouts from the police to turn back. He reached the door, stepped one foot onto the portable stair step outside, and knocked. The door opened only slightly, then a little wider to allow the pizzas inside, and shut again but not before the deliverer pocketed a $10 tip. All these memories and more came flooding back to me when I opened a newspaper, having every intention of looking for a job or some way of making money, and instead I saw, in a half-page, no-color advertisement, an estate sale for the unwanted estate of Monica Roberts, born in 1931 and feeling like it. A photo of a two-car garage showed tools, old holiday decorations, weathered and warped furniture, and something I could hardly believe my eyes about at. A 1989 Mission Pangea parked next to a stack of long-disused kiddie pools. Why are we talking about the 1989 Mission Pangea? It's a good question, but it's actually pretty simple once you read a little about the RV's history. The Mission automobile brand in its lifetime only produced one model, the Mission Pangea, and it only produced this for one year, 1989. Early buyers were wowed by its sleek design, faux redwood siding panels, and rich interior carpeting. It was for a time beating out all competitors in the burgeoning RV market such as the Honda Wavecrester, the Ford Andreas, and the Nintendo Big Switch. Orders for the vehicle quickly outpaced factory output, and new facilities were quickly located and put to work producing the Pangeas. 
Where these factories went, there was work, and where there was work, people followed, so that all around these new production centers sprung up the skeletons of towns colloquially known as missions, which were always small but vibrant and more commercial than other areas with similarly small populations. For about a year, the future seemed bright, but it was once production finally started to shift into delivery that problems became apparent. Consumers receiving their vehicles reported issues ranging from shoddy assembly to steering that was, from one moment to the next, either frozen in place or dangerously over-responsive to the slightest touch, to the strange smell of something rotten beneath the paneling at each full moon. With thousands of undrivable Mission Pangeas flooding the front, side, and even backyards of America's upper-middle, mobile-in-the-summers-class people, a class-action lawsuit was filed and the Mission and Mission declared bankruptcy before ever producing a second model. In her ruling, however, Judge Robin Ford of the Third Circuit Court of California came to a conclusion surprising to some, though not to anyone who'd ever purchased or driven a Mission Pangea. And her finding was that, in light of the state of these vehicles, they technically, and in the eyes of the courts, had no value, and therefore could not be repossessed for the purposes of repayment of any outstanding debts, past or future. So you see how, sitting in front of this half-page advertisement for an estate sale, an idea came to me. It came to me like a shot. Every problem that I had, everything that I saw standing in my way, was suddenly washed out by the sight of the Mission Pangea, a valueless thing that couldn't wipe away any of my debts, and an endless possibility of roads and towns and highways opened up to me by the opportunity of a recreational vehicle. I suddenly had both chance and freedom, opportunity and relief. I knew that it wouldn't be easy, and I didn't see any reason why I would be able to succeed, but one other thing struck me when I looked at that half-page advertisement, and it was that no matter how successful the estate sale, no matter how well things sold, that garage was still going to need a good cleaning. And so if uh, Miss Robert's family wanted to move on from her memory as quickly as possible, they were going to need a lot of help. And maybe we could help each other. So I walked on over there as quickly as I could and got there about 8.30. Uh, it was several miles away and I didn't have any other transportation. By the time I got there, the estate sale was over for the day and the family had left. So I camped out in the yard overnight, and when they returned in the morning to reopen, I greeted them. They believed that I was just someone trying to get a jump on the day's best items, and were very excited to show me inside to look at collections of Hummel figurines, of cookbooks from decades ago, and of a TV that weighed more than me. I of course had to pass on all of these things, and I explained to them that I actually wanted to both take and to give. They did not like the sound of that and were quite upset at first, but once I got more specific, things smoothed out a little bit. 
So I explained to them that I was actually there to see about the mission Pangea, and they were really surprised about that. I think that for people of a certain generation, and maybe younger people don't know this, the mission Pangea is kind of a punchline, and it's one of the things that they assumed that they were just going to have to drop off at a special junkyard like batteries or plastic bags from grocery stores, which you're just not supposed to throw away in a normal trash can. I explained to them some things about my situation but mostly focused on the fact that I would not be able to pay money for the Mission Pangea, and they explained to me that even if I had had money, they simply had no idea how to even explain what the cost for it might be, because it seems to have no uh, purchase value. It's no longer printed in blue books, obviously, the far too out of date, but uh, it's often seen as, frankly, a hazard. So we were able to hitch kind of a deal together that I would basically oversee operations at the estate sale, that I would do some cleaning for possible resale of the house, and take care of yard work, basically serve as kind of a caretaker while they closed up their mother's estate. And that in return, when all was said and done, I would be able to pull away in the mission Pangea. This is harder to actually do than it sounds like, because you can pull away the cinder blocks blocking the tires, and yes, the Pangea can roll away, but for a vehicle that's been sitting in a garage for decades to actually drive when it was already so dangerous to begin with, it's actually not easy to do. So I knew that this was both a deal I had to make for my own well-being, and that not only would I be serving as caretaker of this house, but in all my spare moments, I would be fixing the Pangea. And so it's been seven months, seven months since that day in the radio station. I spent one month going back and forth to court, to lawyers, to mediators, before finally, you know, getting all of that out of my life. And a month doesn't seem like that long of a time to spend on a civil trial, really, but it was not an easy month. And then these past six months since, you know, I entered into my agreement with the Robert's family, I've, I've lived many lives. I've lived as a caretaker. I've lived as a, a cleaner. I've lived as a mechanic. I've lived as a landscaper. I've lived as a personal chef for one. And now that we've reached the night before... I'll finally be able to drive away in the Mission Pangea. It's almost overwhelming. I don't know where exactly I'll go. That's something that I'm going to figure out once I'm on the road. But, you know, it hasn't been an easy road to get here. And once I was here, you know, yesterday... And this morning, I just had this feeling of dread, this this dread that ha had me asking myself, okay, so you got here for what? That 
that there was no reason why I got here. And so I was sitting there just fixated on this question of why, why I had done all this, what was it for, what was the point, that it was just a newspaper with a picture, that I had a memory of the thing in the picture. And so, so I had to find a reason. And I realized, I came to a realization that, I mean, you're hearing it. This is, I'm, I'm coming back. I, I'm not just leaving the Roberts. I'm not just stepping away from court. I'm not just driving away. I'm reclaiming what I lost that day. And that's not something that anyone can fault me for. I don't know if it will work. I'm still learning a lot, but I feel I have to try. And if that's all it ever turns out to be an attempt, then so be it. But at least I did that much. And so tomorrow I'll drive away. I'll pull away the concrete that is holding the Pangea still. I'll start the engine. Fingers crossed it'll work. And then soon there will be an update. There will be more of this. There is already an advertiser. There's so many things I want to do that I never felt I had the freedom to do on Good Morning Germanica, which, while that is like, you know, a concept that's so near and dear to my heart, I at times felt constrained by it. You know, there are things I want to try. There are places I want to see. I'm, I'll talk to people again, and, and I'll live. And so when I needed to have something to call this, I, you know, I thought and I, I wrote out a lot of options, but, I mean, what is this? This is, this is Radio Radio, and I'm your host, Nick Gogol. <clears throat> Wait, let me take that again. This is Radio Radio, and I'm your host, Nick Gogol. Dispatch, this is Eggplant 149er. I got a nice box stuffed with sweet potatoes looking for a cold shoulder to lean on. If you got any hot tips, send them my way quick, cause I'll be in bed by nine.